Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Purpose Podcast. My name is Haas Rauscher. The goal of this podcast is to help men find and fulfill their purpose. I'm going to try to help them be good, strong leaders, good, strong men, good male role models in their communities. I'm going to do that by having conversations. I'm going to invite guests on. I'm going to ask our guests, what is your purpose? What do you think your purpose ought to be? How did you find that purpose? And what do you do every single day? How do you get up, get after it, and go and fulfill that purpose? Today is an episode of the Purpose Book Club. We are going over leadership strategies and tactics. We're not doing it in any sort of regimented fashion, like 10 pages a day or anything. I am just picking out random sections of leadership strategies and tactics to try to analyze and assess and uh basically give you my thoughts about what they mean. This is, I've said it multiple times, this is one of my favorite books. It, I think, uh, pound for pound, um, you know, page for page, it's got the most information. It's one of the shortest reads that I've done and gotten me the most uh, good information and helped change my life more than what I think any other book has, like I said, especially for the time that went into it. 12 Rules for Life, excellent book, but it took me <laughs> two, three times longer to read than what this book does, uh, what this book did. Uh, I, I really, really love this book. Um, so I'm just picking random sections out of it for January. I'm prepping, uh, for the next, um, Next task of the Purpose Book Club, the next books, I'm trying to get some good content planned out. Uh, one of the things about the episode today, I am a little bit sick, um, got some post-nasal drip, my throat kind of hurts, uh, so my voice may be uh, pretty bad. I'm going to try not to <laughs> sneeze or snort or cough in the middle of uh, the episode, so please forgive me if I do. Um, but anyway, so the... Uh, the idea here is is that, and I just want to explain this for the Purpose Book Club, if this is the first time listening to it, and I want to keep kind of letting you know what we're going to be doing over the next uh, over the next year. We're going to do the book club for a full year. Um, the idea is to assess, do literary analysis of books, because I think it's incredibly important. I've learned so much from books. I, I learn a lot from podcasts, but I learn equally as much from books and I have those around longer and I can take notes and it's a different kind of learning. I haven't put my finger on why it's so different than podcasts and why I think it's uh, not really superior, but why I think it still has weight above podcasts. I think maybe it's because if you read it, you remember it a little bit better. That may be the case. Um, and it, it could be different for for different people. Um, I think one of the aspects is that it forces discipline. And if you're learning while exercising discipline, I think that that has a huge benefit as well, or at least it seems to have for me. So the idea here is that I'm going to help you understand these books because when you're just reading a book, it's hard to really get in and understand them. You can skim over pages. I'm real bad about reading while thinking about something else. So I, I, I literally, I'll like, I don't know if you call it ghost read or whatever, but I'll sit there and I'll read, but be thinking about something else. And I'm reading the pages. They're going on, in, like I'm reading the words. They're going on in the back of my mind, but something else is on the forefront. Um, and that gets difficult. So uh, what I do is I take notes. I try to understand line by line, word by word, what these books mean and what they mean to me and how I can utilize what they're telling me in my daily life. Uh, I think that's incredibly important, and I want to help you guys do that. That's what I'm trying to do. And also, a lot of you have expressed your, how do I put it, 
uh, non-desire to read. Um, you don't want to read. You don't like reading or you think that you don't have time to read. Uh, better said, it's not a priority for you to read. And I understand that, guys. I, I really do because I used to be like that. Um, I still would probably be like that if I didn't have the certain jobs that I do, the influences that I do. Um, I still would probably be like that. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Podcasts are really good. Um, but I do think that we should be reading. But if, if I can't get you guys reading and listening to it yourself, or sorry, if I can't get you guys reading and taking notes yourself and doing the literary analysis yourself, then what I'm at least going to do is put it in a medium that I think you are willing to listen to. And that is a podcast form. I think a lot of you, you may not be willing to put in, uh, the, the work reading it. And again, I'm not trying to sound like a dick. Um, just, that's that's what it is for whatever reason you may not have time which is valid you may be reading the bible in a year which is also very valid i'm not trying to um, talk down to you i'm just saying that if you don't want to put in the time and the work to read it for whatever reason then i'm going to do it for you and i'm going to offer at least my thoughts it's it's kind of the next best plan i would love for you to get your thoughts out of it and for you to take notes um, but if nothing else, I'm going to read it. I'm going to summarize it and give you my thoughts. So what's going to be different? Um, I started on a nonfiction book called the comfort crisis. It was a really good book to do, but I always, I felt kind of weird because I was just going over. I mean, it's a dude with a, I guess you could call this a personal growth podcast explaining a personal growth nonfiction book. It was just kind of weird and it felt abnormal. And the more that I look at what benefits people and what creates really big changes in society and what helps build society and, and decide, um, really what the right things are to do and helps us build our morals is fiction. A lot of fiction really helps because it's written with a narrative. It's a little bit more engaging and you can get a lot out of the, out of this fictional story. What it, what it does is it forces you to think even deeper into what does this mean? What am I getting out of it? And how can I utilize it? Uh, it's better than, it's not better, but it's basically when you read a, a self-help book, which I still intend to read a bunch of them, they're perfect. Like I love them. Um, but when you do that, somebody is, is telling you what to think and how to feel. Yeah. Some of them ask questions and the, and the really good ones don't do that. But in a fiction, it's about the story. And if you want to get something out of it, you're forcing yourself to look deeper into the words, not just reading the words. Um, and that I think is important. So for the upcoming year, we're going to be reading fiction books, mostly fiction books. I think I've got maybe one or two that are nonfiction that we're going to be reading, uh, kind of sprinkled into the fiction. So the first one that we're going to do is going to be, uh, the first fiction book that we're going to do is going to be Blood Meridian and it's going to be in March. So I'm going to start going through that in March. I recommend this is, this is exactly what I'm going to do in order to prep for, for y'all. I'm going to, I've already got a bought. It's already sitting on my table. I'm going to start reading it in a couple days, actually read it at a pace of, I think like 10 to 20 pages per day. I think it's only like 10 read it at a pace of 10 pages per day. And then I'm going to, I have like a, a two week break of reading and all I'm going to do is start summarizing, making notes, uh, making sense of my notes and basically formulating my opinions on this book. And then in February, that's when I'm going to go through the book. What I recommend to y'all is not necessarily to stay ahead of me, but at least to get a little bit ahead so that you have time um, to to dive deep and understand it with me. 
So instead of, I'm starting in January. So starting in January, start like mid-February and start reading this and then listening to the podcast and being able to go back and understand what the, the notes that you've already made uh, and, and be a couple chapters ahead of what the, when the podcasts are coming out. That way it's a little bit easier on y'all. And if you do get behind, you have some recovery ability and you're not putting yourself behind on the podcast. Now, that's just my suggestion. That's why I'm going to try to tell y'all what these books are early. Uh, February, you may be asking what we're going to do in February. We're going to do kind of the same thing that we're doing in leadership strategies and tactics, uh, but it's going to be with a book called Meditations and then another book called Dedication and Leadership. I don't really know how the structure is going to be set up yet. I don't know if we're going to go do one book in two weeks, the other book in two weeks. I don't, I don't really know. Uh, these are just two books that I'm really interested in and that I wanted to read before I jumped into uh, the fiction books. And so uh, I want. I think that they've got a lot of good stuff in them, especially Meditations. It's uh, basically Marcus Aurelius's journal I think is kind of what it's been described to me as and that's what it kind of seems like because it's all notated and some of it doesn't make much sense and some of it makes a whole hell of a lot of sense um, and he's talking to himself and a lot of them so uh, it's Marcus Aurelius's journal and that book is called Meditations that's what we're going to be going over for February it's an easy read it's short um it, it, it's got a lot of weight. It's kind of like the uh, leadership strategies and tactics, except less explanatory and more just statements. Um, leadership strategies and tactics, you get a lot out of it, but it's because it's explaining you, it's explaining to you how to do things, uh, how to be a leader. Uh, this is more statements and meditations from Marcus Aurelius that you can really get a lot out of. And it's a small book and there's a lot of weight packed into that book. Um, but it is an easy read. And so we're going to go over that in February dedication and leadership. I'm not entirely sure what it's about. I know I'm pretty sure what it is, is it's an analysis of the communist party and, um, basically an assessment of how they're able to, uh, stir up such, uh, well, dedication and leadership (laughs) in their party. And it's, it's a recognition that, uh, the communists are 100% terrible, which they are. Uh, and it's a guy that I think defected from the the communist party. Now don't take my word for it because I heard it in passing on a podcast and I was like, Oh, I'll buy that and, uh, read it for February. And I haven't really gotten into it. I'm going to jump into it tonight. So I think that's what it is. Uh, but nevertheless, I, whatever it is, I'm going to try to find some good out of it and give y'all my thoughts on it. And I think it is going to be really good from the description I heard of it. It sounds like there's got some really good stuff in there and, uh, just, yeah, it's good. I think, I don't know. I haven't read it yet. So wait till February. <laughs> but anyway, that's what we're doing. I'm going to release the whole list soon so that y'all can start buying books. Um, I'm conflicted on what to do, uh, during hunting season because these are fiction books and they're heavy <laughs> as in they've got a lot of pages. Um, so I'm conflicted on what to do during hunting season, uh, because I don't, I want to be able to deliver good content to y'all. I'm not worried about delivering content every week. I'm worried about the quality of that content that I can deliver every week during hunting season, because I'm going to be full-fledged, uh, out in, uh, Lake Meredith and in the canyons and hunting my ass off. And I just want to be sure that I can deliver, uh, the quality content that you're going to be getting in February, March, and April in October, November, and December. So I don't know what we're going to be reading towards the later part of the year. I know that we're going to be reading Blood Meridian, All the Pretty Horses, and Lonesome Dove first. Uh, the, the, oh, the, yeah, the first three are, are Westerns. So that's going to be pretty cool. I'm excited about that. They interest me, and I think that there's a lot to learn. And I'm excited that I don't have to wade through the, uh, the complications and struggles of Russian literature, uh, uh, so quick. I think that there's a lot that can be gleaned from American Westerns and a lot that may be 
uh, a little bit more relatable uh, without, you know, diving into Crime and Punishment or Notes from Underground or Brothers Karamazov. Like, those books are heavy. They've got a lot of weight. And I think this is something that you're not going to find. I don't, I don't know. I haven't looked at it yet. But I think that a true analysis uh, done by... Um, not an academic like myself. I don't think that you're going to find that on these westerns. Everybody and their mother has a has a you know a 14 minute YouTube video on crime and punishment notes from underground and brothers Karamazov. Uh, not everybody has that for Lonesome Dove, uh, Blood Meridian, all the pretty horses. And I don't think Blood Meridian. I don't think there's really much on Blood Meridian at all uh, in in the way of what I'm trying to do because I'm pretty sure I looked at it uh, when I was deciding whether to do the book or not because I wanted to know for real what it was about. So anyway, that's what we're going to be doing with the book club. I hope that you're going to be a part of it. Uh, I'm honestly debating on changing the intro for the podcast because I think this is equally as important as uh, getting guests on and talking to guests. We're, we're going to keep both sides. I'm very interested in what guests have to say. This podcast is not going to turn into me talking about books. That's not what it's going to turn into. So don't tune it off. Don't unlike it. Now you remove it from your Spotify uh, because you're worried that it's just going to turn into me talking about books. We are still going to have the guests. You are still going to get to hear from people other than myself. And hopefully we're going to have that inside the book club as well. Hopefully I'm going to be able to get people on board reading these books, coming on and saying, hey, this is what I got from the book. I really, I, I hope y'all truly take me for my word when I say that I don't want this just to be me talking to you. Uh, that's that's not what I want because I don't think that um, I always have the answers. I think that I'm wrong a lot of times, uh, but this is what I can do right now. <laughs> um, getting people uh, on board to read 800 page books and then come and present them in a way that I would like to present them is going to be difficult. And so it's going to be me and I'm going to do the best that I can. And this is why I'm going to look for interaction from y'all and say, Hey, look, what did you, what did you think about this? How did you feel about this? Uh, I don't have much interaction right now. I don't really post much on the Instagrams because I don't have much interaction and I don't want to just shit post for all of y'all. I don't think that that's, um, the right thing to do. I post when important things happen. Um, I don't want to just shit post because I don't want you to tune me out. When I post, I want you to know that it's something important. Um, that may not be the correct, uh, way to go about it. I don't know yet. Um, I've seen it done both ways. So, uh, but I, I really want to rely on my content. And again, uh, if, if you don't want this podcast just to turn into me talking to you and giving you all my opinions, uh, then read the fucking books is, <laughs> that's what I have to say. Read the books and then disagree with me. Um, if you're worried that, you know, oh, when I listen to this, it's just going to be him diluting books and giving me, uh, his opinion. Well, yeah, read the books. <laughs> so anyway, guys, uh, today I did want to try to keep this short. My throat is already hurting more cause I'm talking. Um, I looked in Jocko, uh, Jocko Willing's leadership strategy and tactics. And, uh, the, the one that stuck out to me, and this is because of some past experiences. Uh, well, I guess some recent experiences, uh, it's the section leading peers and it's a hell of a one to choose. Cause it's like a five page section. Um, and I'm going to read it all to you. So bear with me. Um, but it's on page 221 of leadership strategies and tactics, leadership strategy and tactics. Uh, and it's called leading peers. So I'll go ahead and start. Leading peers is one of the most challenging types of leadership. When rank and position are equivalent, more tact is needed and an even better relationship must be built. Once a relationship is built, you can use influence to lead the team in the right direction. This is not a bad thing since influence is always the preferred method of leading. Influence is especially critical when leading peers. 
Influence can be a challenge to develop with peers because when rank is equivalent, egos often become more visible. People are always looking to prop themselves up to get an edge on others. Oh, willing to prop themselves up to get an edge on others. If you allow your ego to manifest itself when working with peers, you will draw out the worst of your peers' egos as well. Egos must be subdued. Start with subduing your own ego. If you fail to subdue your own ego, you will develop an antagonistic relationship with your peers. This will result in a blue-on-blue military parlance for friendly fire, which means you will end up destroying your own team. Don't allow that to happen. Take the high ground and put your ego in check. One of the best ways to subdue your own ego and start building a relationship with your peers is by supporting their ideas. They might come up with a plan slightly different from yours, but it is functional and it will get the job done. Support it. Let them take the lead. Don't feel the need to stick out your chest and flex your ideas. Instead, support your peers' ideas. Even if you think your idea is better, if your peers' idea is close, go with it. The dedication they will have to successfully execute their plan will be far greater than the lackluster motivation they will have trying to execute yours. And more important, once you have accepted their plan, it shows them that you are open to their ideas, and that means in most cases, they will listen to your ideas as well. If their ideas have some shortfalls, explain the shortfalls and help your team members improve upon them, and don't look for credit once the idea is presented. Even if you helped modify it into its winning solution, just give the credit to your peers. This is the beginning of a relationship and will increase your influence with them. Next, when it is time to assign tasks, you should jump on the, on the hard ones. Shoulder the heavy weight for the team. If there is extra work to be done, take ownership of it and get it done. Of course, there is a dichotomy with that and must be balanced. If you are stepping up and taking responsibility for as much as possible, some peers may see that as a threat, as if you were trying to take control of everything, so don't go overboard. Monitor your peers' reactions and make sure you are not being offensive by over-volunteering. If you sense they feel you are stepping on their toes, then back off. Obviously, when things go wrong, take responsibility for problems and get them fixed. This is fundamental to the idea of extreme ownership, but of course there is also a dichotomy to be balanced. Just as taking on too many tasks can offend some people, there are also those who are offended if you try to resolve every problem. Always pay attention and be aware of other people's attitudes as you drive forward owning things and solving problems. You might offend some people. If one of your peers' egos is out of control and they begin to maneuver to make themselves look good or even make you look bad, don't fall into the ego trap. Don't attack them. Simply continue to do great work and put the mission first. They might get some initial positive attention for their selfish actions, but eventually they will be uncovered. Take the high ground or the high ground will take you. As you put the team and the mission before yourself and keep your ego in check, you will begin to form relationships with your peers. This is the ultimate goal. If you have a relationship, you can then influence your peers. That is leadership. Putting your ego in check can be very challenging. I like to play a game to put egos in perspective, and there are many ways to play it. I call it who would you hire or who would you promote. It works like this. Imagine you have two subordinate leaders working for you who are peers and both running different. But Oh, both running different but similar projects. They both fail to successfully complete their project on time. You bring the first leader in and ask him what went wrong. A bunch of things went wrong, he replies empathetically. The material didn't show... The material didn't show up on time. Our subcontractors were late on completing their part of the project. We had terrible weather that cost us quite a few days of work, and on top of all that, there were some conflicts between two of my shifts, and they weren't passing information to each other. Clearly, this leader is not going to take ownership of anything. As a boss, you should not be happy with this attitude. Not be happy at all with this attitude. 
You call the next subordinate leader in and ask what went wrong with her project. Her attitude is different. A bunch of things went wrong, she explains. First of all, I didn't order the materials early enough, so some of them showed up late. From now on, I will be sure to order all the materials earlier. I also didn't do a good job of keeping our subcontractors on track, and they were late uh, completing their part of the project. Next time, I'm going to do a daily check-in to confirm their progress and make sure things are on track. If they are not, I will make adjustments and get them on track and make sure they are not late. We also ran into some weather issues, and unfortunately, I didn't have a contingency plan. On the next project, I will be informing everyone that days missed due to weather will be made up on the weekends so we don't fall behind. And lastly, two of my shift crews were not getting along very well, and I need to make sure they do. I will play a more proactive role next time to ensure all our teams are getting along and fully fully integrated, working together. Those are the things I'm going to do to fix next time. No, those are things I'm going to fix next time. Clearly, this is a much different attitude, one of ownership and getting problems solved. Now ask yourself a question. Which of these two individuals would you promote to the next level of leadership? The answer is obvious. You promote the person who takes ownership and gets problems solved. But even though the answer is so completely obvious, for some reason, when working with peers, people will often fail to make that connection. They only place blame. They try to take credit when something goes well, and they think that they are doing the right thing. They think that no one notices that they are trying to make themselves look good next to their peer, but superiors and peers do notice. Just as they notice when people are placing blame and not taking ownership, they notice people who who biggest con- they also notice people whose biggest concern is trying to make themselves look good. Don't do that. Put your ego in check. Support your peers and take ownership. It will put you on the right path in the long game. This is not to say that every boss will identify the self-serving subordinate immediately. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it takes a significant amount of time. Sometimes the self-serving peer will even get promoted because of the maneuvers they made. That can hurt, but deal with it. Don't get impatient. Play the long game. The truth will be revealed. Do the right things for the right reasons. Support your peers. Stay humble. Take ownership of problems. Pass credit on to the rest of your team. Build relationship. That is how you lead your peers. Okay, so that was kind of a, uh, a hefty session of reading. Um, what does it mean? So I'm going to go back through and go through uh, some of my highlighting first and talk about the things that I found important, and then I'll summarize kind of my whole thoughts on leading peers. So the first thing I highlighted is kind of towards the bottom of the first page of leading peers. It says, start with subduing your own ego. If you fail to subdue your ego, you will develop an antagonistic relationship with your peers. Uh, yeah, that's on its face is true. If, if you've got an ego and, uh, you're an arrogant ass and you go in, uh, constantly thinking that, um, you're better than everybody else and that they can never be as good as you. And, um, it's not going to go well. And other peers, you know, they think that as well. And they, what they don't want is they don't want people to think that they have power, like that somebody else has power over them. Uh, and that's oftentimes what happens when you're in a peer group because they know that the leader or the boss has power, but there's also an internal power struggle within the group. Um, and when you come in with a strong ego, a lot of people think that, well, that's what you're trying to do is take power over the group. We all know when you've got that group of hands or, uh, you know, a group of, uh, a a team that, you know, a work team at work and there is somebody who still emerges as a leader. Look at the group projects. Um, leadership is everywhere. And a lot of times it's those people that are strong. They have the strong egos and they want to step out. And a lot of times it's not a good thing, um, 
when when those people uh, feel threatened and and their power feels threatened. We're talking about the popularity contests that you see go on inside certain work teams, and um, it's not a good thing. And what's going to happen is as you let that ego flare up, people are going to see that and they're going to think that you're fighting for power inside this group, and it's just not a good thing. Uh, one reason I highlighted that is because for me. Always the first check of if I'm having, if I'm having issues with a peer, my first check now is always my ego. I always say, okay, did I approach this situation a little too hot? Did I say something a little bit too confidently? Did I speak of things, speak on things that I don't know as if I do? Um, what did I do to make them feel like I'm trying to assert some sort of power over them or, or put them down? And that's always my first check. And a lot of times I find the issue. A lot of times I subordinate my ego, tell them how good they're doing at their job, tell them, you know, this, that, and the other that makes them feel good. And the issue blows over in a couple of days and then we're all back to good. So if you're having interpersonal issues with, with other people, especially your peers, I mean, with anybody really, but check your ego and make sure that you're, you're not, um, you know, assaulting them with your ego pretty much. So the next thing that I highlighted, let's see. Um, so he talks about their ideas. Um, one thing that I highlighted was the dedication they will have to successfully execute their plan will be far greater than the lack, lackluster motivation they will have trying to execute yours. This is, this is wild. Uh, this really changed my perspective of, well, I, I could never get past the idea of, well, my plan is objectively better. Like nobody has, <laughs> nobody has presented anything to, um, counter my plan. There, there is no advantage on your plan over my plan. And that happens to, to, to act as if, you know, all plans are objectively equal is foolish. Uh, but what I, what I started to find, especially when I read that, and this is going to sound really dumb and people are going to think I'm silly, but it would happen a lot in call of duty when we're having to do teamwork exercises like search and destroy. And, uh, you would see that when you would come up with a plan that somebody initially didn't agree with and you would force the plan on somebody. Um, you know, say you've got three, four of your team members want to do your plan and you've got one guy who's really, really passionate that, uh, you know, about his plan and you think it'll kind of work, but there's the obvious fact that there's going to be a sniper on that rooftop. Like there is every, every damn round and we could just go around him. But this guy is, is 100% confident on his plan. Uh, if you can swing, if you've got four people that are kind of in the middle and you're the only one over on the other side, uh, you can swing all four of those people over to his plan. And what's going to happen is he's actually going to execute. And I know this sounds dumb because it's a video game, but this is really where I started seeing it first of when I would fight for my plan and we would take four people over there. Those guys didn't give a damn. Um, they would either a go just follow their own plan because you know, this doesn't matter it's a video game and it's dumb. And so they would just go do whatever they wanted to do. Uh, or they would follow on our plan and they would not execute it effectively. They would, they would, you know, mess around. They would go to having fun instead of trying to win. Uh, they, they would just dick off and not actually execute the plan. Whereas if I could take myself and the two or three people that agreed with me and say, okay, let's go do their plan. Then instead of only four people we had executing the plan, we had six people executing the plan and typically that plan, uh, would actually work. There may be some pitfalls and we would iron those out, but 
that plan was more effective because we simply had more bodies trying to effectively get it done. And this is what, I mean, this is what changed my perspective on that was, uh, this quote where he says that, uh, the dedication they will have to successfully execute their plan will be far greater than the lackluster motivation they will have trying to execute yours. Uh, ask yourself if you've got 10 team members, do you want nine of them trying to execute your plan? Or do you want 10 of them trying to execute this guy's plan? And you get to develop leadership capital. You either get nine people executing your plan, um, and you've only built, you haven't built leadership capital with any of them because they were already wanting to execute your plan. You didn't exercise any leadership capital. You didn't gain any leadership capital. Um, and you've only got nine people going into this because they don't give a damn now. Um, or do you want 10 people because you've got leadership capital with the nine, obviously, if they want to follow your plan, or you've got 10 people to go and effectively execute this plan that is going to work. As long as it's going to work, then fine. Uh, it may not be as good as your plan, but it'll work. And it's actually better because you've got 10 people following this plan, not just nine. And you're building leadership capital with number 10. Whether you think so or not, you're building leadership capital with number 10 because you're going to be more able to influence him uh, because he thinks that you're on his side. And and you are on his side. It's not that he thinks that you're on your side. I mean, he does think that, but this is not a manipulation tactic. This is you're on his side. You want him to succeed. You want his plan to succeed. Once you're on his side, that's where you're building the relationship. That's where you gain leadership capital. So it's a win-win. It really is. And that's what changed my perspective on the whole thing. Instead of sitting there digging in and fighting for my plan, I said, you know what? It doesn't even matter because yours will, yes, work. Um, it'll work. It'll get us the result that we need. And... I've got 10 people going to execute uh, instead of just nine, and I'm gaining leadership capital with you. Absolutely. I'm all in. Fuck my plan. I don't, I don't even care. Um, this is going to work. It's an 80% solution. Let's go for it. Uh, that changed my perspective wildly, and I hope it does for you as well. The next thing I have highlighted is next, when it is time to assign tasks, you should jump on the hard ones. Shoulder the heavy weight for the team. If there is work to be done, take ownership of it and get it done. Of course, there is a dichotomy with this that must be balanced. If you are stepping up and taking responsibility for as much as possible, some peers may see this as a threat. If you are trying to take control of everything, so don't go overboard. Sorry. If you are stepping up and taking responsibility for as much as possible, some peers may see this as a threat, as if you were trying to take control of everything. <laughs> So don't go overboard. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I highlighted that because I've actually, that it's so effective to start taking taking tasks that nobody wants to do um, and gaining leadership capital because you're doing those tasks and doing them well. I know somebody and um, it's somebody I work with. She is, uh, she is the epitome of that. She will take any task that anybody assigns her and uh, she has so much leadership capital built up that it's kind of crazy. I mean, I mean, it is, it is insane because of what she does and she's incredibly humble when she does it. She is willing to follow anybody's plan. I mean, she mostly comes in looking for people to give her optimal solutions in order to execute her job instead of presenting her own plans and she follows this to a T and the amount of leadership, I mean, the leadership capital bank that she has built up right now is really, really insane. Uh, so I've seen this work. Um, I do this occasionally. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of bad about when bad tasks roll around. Uh, I'm like, no, nah, I don't, I don't really want to do that. Um, you know, it's not the lack of effort. I just don't want to get involved and 
I just don't want to get involved in that. We all have that one department at work. Uh, you know, let's say it's the, uh, if you work at a Walmart, it's the bakery and the bakery is a fucking shit show. And, uh, you know, occasionally tasks roll around and they're like, Hey, who wants to do work in the bakery? And I'm like, that shit show. No fucking thank you. I'll work anywhere else. You tell me anything to do. I'll go do it, but don't give me the bakery. I don't want to bake that bread. Um, I'm kind of bad about that. She is not. She'll jump in anywhere that she's asked to. And, uh, the leadership capital, the, um, our, our leadership capital bank accounts are wildly different for that reason. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty insane. Uh, so I've seen that work, uh, take that and use that to your advantage. So I don't really have a lot highlighted, um, for the next kind of page or so. He's talking about keeping your ego in check. Yeah. This is all pretty simple. Uh, straightforward. So, oh, he starts talking about ownership and taking ownership of problems when they occur. This is key. This is key. I've talked about extreme ownership a lot and it is key. He gives the situation of two project managers and we talked about it beforehand, but basically he says he brings two project managers in and they both fail. They're, they're both failures. They've, they were given identical projects. Uh, the project was to go, hey, dig up that pipe, fix the leak, and get the pipe back in service. And both of them, uh, their projects fucked up. And he wants to know why. Brings the first guy in and the first guy basically... Um, tells him that all we had all these problems these are the problems that we had and so if you if you read the paragraph and if you've got the book sitting in front of you one thing that I kind of, and maybe it's not even worth mentioning but I'm going to mention it anyway it's my podcast fuck it <laughs> um I'm going to mention it anyway basically this guy just hasn't taken ownership yet and depending on his attitude it's kind of hard to relay what the attitude is uh because if he starts throwing his hands up and saying well the material didn't show up on time and our subcontractors were late uh, and completing their part of the project we had terrible weather that cost us quite a few days of work i mean if he's like that then jocko has a point but (laughs) when you just read it he's basically stating all the problems that did go wrong. Uh, and he hasn't taken ownership of them yet. So yeah, this is, and it's stupid, silly. I probably shouldn't even mention it because you can do the example without mentioning it, but he's simply just kind of stating the problems. Um, he says, uh, Oh, I said, I think I said empathetically. This is, he says emphatically. I don't really know what emphatically means because I'm kind of an idiot. So, uh, emphatically, maybe that's what he's talking about is the, the emotion that's involved with it. And maybe that's why he's saying that he's not going to take ownership. But if you just read the words, if, and if you're like me, it was like, well, he hasn't taken ownership of them yet he still has the opportunity to say all that went wrong and it's all my fault in this way this way this way this is how i'm going to solve it as opposed to and this is his point here is that she is taking ownership first and this is good so um when the woman project manager comes in she says first of all i I is the first sentence that is ownership. And maybe that's the point Jocko's trying to make because, uh, the, the first word of the guy, he says a bunch of things went wrong. And then he says the material didn't show up, blaming it on the material, blaming it on whoever produced the material, whatever. Her first word was I. So he does have a point that this woman is making it a point to take ownership of the situation. And she goes through saying, I didn't, uh, order the materials early enough. Um, I didn't do a good job of keeping our subcontractors on track. 
Uh, yeah, wow, is this an example? <laughs> I've seen this play out so many fucking times uh, with all the project management that I've been involved in. Uh, this is like a script. Um, Jocko must be involved in some project management because this is exactly how it goes every time. Um, all of these problems, 100%. Anyway, she's taking ownership of the situation, and basically what he's trying to convey is that uh, passing blame off, it offers no solutions. That's what he's trying to say. Uh, passing blame off to somebody else uh, and gives no guarantee to your boss or the leader that it will actually get fixed or that there will even be a concerted effort to get it fixed. So taking ownership of these problems gives you a path forward and that path forward is through you. And that's what people like to see. This boss doesn't want all these problems. Um, the boss wants solutions and you hear, you hear some people say, don't give me a problem without giving me a solution. Uh, I think that's, that's really, that's fucking silly. And maybe I've even said that is that, you know, I don't create, I don't create problems without creating solutions. That's silly. If you're a boss and you think like that, uh, your job is to solve problems. So if somebody comes to a, with comes to you with a problem and they don't exactly have a solution, uh, then help them find the solution. That's part of your job. Um, so as that statement aside, you, by taking ownership, you are offering at least half of a solution and saying that I, I will help solve the problem because I helped cause it. So you don't have to immediately come up with a solution. You can say, I didn't order the material early enough. I don't really know how to fix that. It's my fault, but I, did, I don't really know how to fix that. You're not offering a full solution. You're offering the start of the solution, as in we know this is where it needs to change. It needs to change with you. So that's why taking ownership is so important. And it's it, it, it no matter if you're talking to your boss or your peers, people will appreciate you taking ownership to a certain extent. Your boss is going to appreciate it 100% of the time. 100% of the time, your boss is going to appreciate you taking ownership. Your peers, maybe not. And that's what Jocko, Jocko talked about earlier, is that they may see it as a threat because you're you're pumping your chest out and a lot of people know what you're trying to do. And so don't do it 100% of the time. Um, yeah, take extreme ownership, but don't be like outward with it. Like, oh, well, no, Donnie. Um, yeah, you tipped over that bucket, but it's really my fault because I wasn't watching you well enough and you tipped over that bucket. Don't do that stupid shit. It's not worth it. Your peers aren't going to like that. Uh, but take ownership of these situations and and make sure that you're offering at least a pathway to a solution through yourself. Uh, this is, again, perfectly demonstrated where I work. We have a guy that he does a lot. I mean, he does a lot for the company. And what that does is that gives him a lot of chances to mess up. <laughs> he, he does a ton and... Uh, in the words of one of my peers, uh, yeah, he does a whole lot and that gives him a lot, a whole lot, a whole lot of chances to mess up. Uh, and a lot of times when he's pushed on them, he'll immediately kind of, he'll get that, uh, I guess emphatic is the word, uh, response of, well, this happened and this happened and this happened. Well, you sent me this and well, you didn't email me this and you didn't email me that. Um, and it's like, whoa, dude, whoa, just like, take a little ownership of the situation. Tell us how you messed up and we're going to help you fix it. Um, Whereas the people that take ownership in the company that I work for, uh, those people get ahead. Those people um, are much more liked and you're more willing to bring problems to them because you know they're going to take ownership of them and you know that you've already got the start of a solution. Whereas this other guy, you've got to dick around and deal with him and uh, uh, what is it, haggle with whose fault it is first before we can ever start to find a solution. And it's a pain in the ass. And as a peer, it, it's hard to go to him with problems because you know you're going to have to do that first. Whereas if I go to my other peer, I can say, hey, we've got this problem. Uh, he slash she is going to say, Oh yeah, I know. I know that. Um, yeah, that's, I, I didn't do enough to, uh, help that issue. How can I help? Uh, 
uh, it's much more pleasant. And as a peer, you're going to gain leadership capital doing that. The rest of the book is just kind of reinforcing that. Um, but even though the answer is obvious, yeah, he's just talking about taking ownership and, uh, oh, he gives the reassurance that, you know, sometimes, sometimes those cutthroat employees, the people that take credit and, uh, look for credit and don't take ownership and make the wrong decisions and let their egos flare up. Sometimes they do get promoted and you may work for a shitty boss. Uh, one thing that I can think of is like car salesmen. Um, and that's maybe shitty of me, but, uh, car, car selling is very cutthroat. My dad did it for a little bit, uh, selling trucks down in Eastland and it's very, very cutthroat. It's, you're going to be hard pressed to find a good dealership that is uh moral. Let me put it that way. Um, there may be a few of them, but they're not that damn many. Um, it's very cutthroat. A lot of guys are pushing their egos and because they think that, that you know, they're salesmen, they've got to push their egos. They've got to be flagrant. They've got to, you know, um, not take ownership of things because it could cost their commissions, things like, uh, things like that. Um, so basically, uh, you, some people are going to have success doing that and it depends on what kind of leadership you have. But what Jock was offering here is that it, it'll wash out. Um, eventually all of the work that you're putting in discipline equals freedom. It'll wash out and you will be better off in the end. And he's just kind of offering that reassurance because it is hard. I mean, it's hard to sit in a meeting, watch somebody take credit for something that you know good and goddamn well that they didn't do. You know for a fact that they they cannot take ownership of that. Um, not ownership. They can't take credit for that because you sat there and you watched your other peer do it or you watched yourself do it. Um, and then everybody says, oh, great, you know, golf clap good little golf clap. And, uh, that's awesome. And then we're going to promote you and you're going to do this, this, and this, and it it sucks. It sucks. But Jocko's saying that it will work out. Eventually they'll get to a point to where that won't carry their water for them and it'll bite them in the ass. And people are going to look around and they're going to say, wait, who actually did this Excel spreadsheet? Um, he's going to get a question about the formulas in it and he's not going to have a fucking clue. And, uh, they're going to be like, Oh, well who actually did it? And then, you know, you're going to have to raise your hand or somebody, you know, he'll, admit it or whatever. Um, yeah, it's going to happen and and you'll get yours. You will get yours. So that's all I've got to say, guys, uh, that little section on, uh, leading peers, it's essential. And a lot of people, when I come up with this topic of leadership and I say that everything is leadership, a lot of people push back on that. A lot of people say, no, we're not really on a team. Um, well, no, we have a leader. There's no need for you to be a leader. Um, everything is leadership. And if you view everything through the lens of gaining leadership capital, um, you will be better off for it. And, and you will, um, how am I trying to say this? The reason that everything is leadership is because everything is influence. Like he, he speaks about how influence is the best type of leadership. Well, influence is like the only type and it can be positive or negative. Um, a lot of negative influence can occur. And if you want your life to go well, and if you want your job to go well, what you need to be doing is making sure that you're exercising positive influence. Positive influence is what we call leadership. That's what being a leader means. It means stepping up, making sure that you are exercising positive influence in whatever groups you find yourself. There is leadership in the gym. There is leadership in your home. There is leadership at work. There is leadership when you're shopping in the shopping mall. Yes. If somebody litters, it is it is, um, it is your responsibility as the leader in this shopping mall to pick up the litter and exercise positive influence to the people around you and go throw it away. Uh, everything is leadership. 
So uh, exercise that leadership, lead your peers, lead the people that you call your peers, the people right beside you, your brothers to your left, to your right, uh, lead them, exercise influence, take ownership. That's all I've got for you guys. Just want to give you a reminder that we are going to be uh, reading Blood Meridian in March. Get that. We're going to be reading Meditations and Dedication and Leadership in February. It's a little tight, but mine got here pretty quick. Uh, meditations, Dedication and Leadership is going to be kind of hard to find. You're going to have to get it online. I don't think you're going to be able to go to Barnes and Noble and find it at least I was not uh, you're gonna have to get dedication and leadership online it's like paperback only it wasn't too terribly expensive I don't believe uh, meditations you will probably be able to find that inside uh, Barnes and Noble mine was gifted to me so I don't know what I paid for it or where it's at uh, I think you will be able to find it on Amazon though uh, and I think it does have prime delivery I do want to caution you um, I do want to caution you all I like hardcovers I love hardcovers um, I take my books around, I carry them around, I beat the shit out of them, I read them anywhere and everywhere. I love hardcovers. If you order hardcovers on Amazon, some of these books are going to be older, some of these books aren't going to have, uh, they're not going to be mass produced, and it's going to be coming out of some little mom and pop shop in Portland, fucking Oregon, and they're pulling one off the shelf. Somehow they have an Amazon, you know, uh, inventory, and they're pulling one off the shelf, and it's going to take instead of two day prime delivery, it's going to take like three weeks to get to you, and you're not going to realize it. I didn't realize it. So make sure when you're when you're getting these books, if you're buying hardcovers, especially, uh, I know it's an extra expense. Uh, sometimes I buy hardcovers because it's only like three or four dollars more than the paperback, but some of these books, if you're like me and you have to have hardcovers and it's going to be like $10, $20 more than the, uh, the paperbacks, number one, buy them early and make sure that you get them. Or number two, go and go to a local library or find somebody that's got it and read the book. And then when you get the hardback, uh, the hardcover, go through, like take your notes in a notebook and then go through and highlight your books and stuff like that. That's what I'm having to do with some of them, or that's what I thought I was going to have to do before I went back and made sure that, uh, Blood Meridian was going to come on prime. So another tip is when it says it's got 11 used from whatever number 2399, click on that and you should scroll through and there might be some of them that are prime. And for some reason, it's not giving you the default prime option. That's what happened to me is I clicked buy now on my phone, like walking through the grocery store because I remember, oh, fuck, I need to buy Blood Meridian. Got on there, bought it, hit buy now because it had the little prime check when I clicked on it, but it didn't give me the default prime option. So I had to cancel the order because it wasn't going to get here till like mid-February. And uh, I had to cancel the order, return it, and then I went through, uh, clicked those options, and went and found one that was Prime Delivery, and I got it within three days. So just a little note to y'all for for these books. If you wait to buy them until <laughs> right before you need to read them, make sure that they're Prime Delivery, or get the paperback, read the paperback, or go rent it, or go um, rent it. I don't know if you rent books anymore. Check out books um, from the library, and then. Uh, and then take your notes in your in your hardcover if if you're like me and you love hardcovers because I do. Anyway, that's all I've got for you, folks. Tune in on Sunday. We're gonna have a pretty special guest. Uh, his name. It, well, I won't tell you his name. I won't tell you his name. I'll let it be a surprise. So we're going to have a pretty special guest uh, that I've been wanting to talk to for a while. It's a longer podcast. Uh, if you like the long form podcast, if you like getting deep, this guy had a lot of good information. So join us on Sunday for that. Appreciate it.